Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I am your host, Dwayne Mancini. If you enjoy this podcast, please do us a favor, subscribe, leave a review, and share on your network. As always, if you need to get a hold of the podcast for any reason, whether it be to get connected with a previous guest, recommend a future guest, or take advantage of our network, please email us at projectmedtechpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. My guests today are Peter Vrains and Hitesh Mehta from Neutromics. Peter and Hitesh are both the co-founder and co-CEOs at Neutromics. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss Neutromics, what it is, the mission they're trying to solve, and advice for startup companies. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my discussion with Peter Vrains and Hitesh Mehta. Peter, Hitesh, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having us, Dwayne. Absolutely. So um, I do a brief introduction to both of you, but uh, maybe we'll start with Peter and then go to Hitesh. Maybe just give a little background about yourself and, and uh, why you're in the space and how you, you, you came across Neutromics. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my background, I'm a chemical engineer. I've uh, been an entrepreneur for, for 17 years now. Sounds like a very long time, probably ages me a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I've uh, started off in uh, the skincare field. So a little bit uh, different to what we're doing now with MedTech, um, but also actually a lot of transferable things as well. Um, so yes, yeah, so we have uh, started several brands, um, you know, gone full circle from the idea to, to the uh, distribution, commercialization, uh, and then eventual sale of the company a few years ago. Um, and then it was through that process that um, after that, uh, you know, you have a bit of a, a think about what your next move is going to be. And, um, and yeah, and it was a bit of a pivot into uh, MedTech. But we'll, yeah, I suppose we'll talk a bit, a bit about that later. But that's a little bit about me, Dwayne. Great. Hitesh? Yeah, so I used to consult in the healthcare space uh, as an IBM Watson Health, and I had over 10 years plus experience in that space uh, in a global capacity. So regularly used to work with new systems and models in Singapore and New Zealand, Australia, US, everywhere. And it was doing my MBA that, you know, I was starting to look at what's next steps for me, what's next in my career. So I knew I always wanted to go into healthcare, but I... I really wanted to start to look at actually doing something really innovative and really novel and bringing something new to the market. Um, and so I started to initially engage with a few startups, more looking at AI in, in healthcare and AI in medtech. Um, and all, along that way, I met Peter. We, we met actually at a conference around um, lean business uh, models, around strategizer. Uh, got talking, found a shared passion and started to work on Neutronics together. And then, you know, from a personal interest as well, my, my family has a long history of chronic diseases. My mom's got diabetes. Her brother has diabetes. There's always that passion about how, why is this such a big problem around chronic diseases? Why, why can't we do something much better than what's out there today? Yeah, great. Okay, guys. Well, great. So let's talk about Neutromics. Um, you know, what are you guys doing? Uh, how did you find the company? What's the mission? Let's start there. 
Yeah, so we're developing a smart patch technology that is a plat it's a platform technology. It can measure virtually any molecular target continuously and in real time. So the best way to think about this is um, an evolution of CGM. So continuous glucose monitors, uh, you know, innovative technology, uh, totally transformed the way type one diabetes is managed and now moving into type two and into wellbeing. Um, and it can measure one thing and it, and it does it really well. So it measures glucose. So imagine a technology that can measure multiple targets. So not just, so glucose is a metabolite. So imagine something you can do drugs, you can do metabolites, you can do pro, uh, proteins, you can do hormones and all the dozens of applications that that could be applied to. So we, we're familiar with glucose for type one diabetes but there are so many other applications when you can measure multiple targets and also do them uh, a multi-analyte sensing. So do them simultaneously. So at, at its heart, that's what our technology does. That's what we're really excited about because this is very much blue ocean opportunities. These are solutions that, um, that other technologies can't really go into because they just don't, they don't have the capabilities of doing it. So we're really excited about this technology and um, yeah, and we're really just getting deep into proving it out um, and going through that process of getting into the market. Great. Um, and, and okay. So, so this is interesting. I mean, we talked about it on the first, on our, on our first call when I first met you guys, but uh, you know, I kind of mentioned that when, when you do, blood work, um, it's a snapshot in time, right? So, so while the data is valuable, it's only so valuable, right? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of variables into that. Were you fasting for 16 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours, 10 hours? I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So you can, it's, it's pretty apparent the need for something like this, where you can get real time data on more than just your blood glucose levels. Um, maybe talk a little bit about about that space and, and, and how you guys saw that issue, but then, you know, how you tackled that issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good question because a lot of the, what's monitored today and the, and the frequency of how it's monitored is mainly driven, not by the need necessarily, but by the capability. It's by the infrastructure we have today. It's by the fact that you have to bring people in, you have to do the blood work, you have to send it to the lab to be analyzed and then use that data. And that, introduces a lot of process, introduces a lot of uh, uh, limitations. And there's a big trend in moving to point of care. But again, you have those limitations, you're still getting a point in time, you still need to get the user to actively engage in that process as well to actually give you the sample and process the sample. Um, but where the, the direction is headed is really into a lab on the skin approach. And that's what we're working on building. And the reason why we started to go in that is because a lot we had a few pivots along the way on the company, but the problems we we're looking at always demanded that optimally to have an ideal solution, you need to do more than just one market. You need to have a capability that allows you to do multiple markets. And there's a lot of these use cases where you need to have that data in a granular format that enables effective decision-making. Because right now what happens is we get the blood work back, we have one point in time, but as you said, there's so many variables that can impact that point in time data. And by the time you get it back, 
the patient's biology is, is already well progressed. It's not standing still. So again, in fast-moving targets, how are you going to use that information in your decision-making as a doctor? You have to try and work out what the levels were when the blood was done, what the lab is showing you, what it's likely to be right now. There's a huge cognitive load, a huge mental load, and you need to have this information right now to make a decision. So oftentimes what happens is clinicians are estimating or sending back for more blood work and making an inefficient decision. And that's the problem we saw repeated over and over again in the space. Okay, that's great. Um, so tell me, how, how does this differ then from continuous glucose monitors that are already on the market? Yeah, well, so continuous glucose monitors are wildly successful technologies, we, mm -hmm. as we mentioned. Um, it's proven, right? And, and, it's, right. and it, it solves major problem, a major problem. Um, we have two big advantages, uh, we feel, over that technology, and that's why we call this an evolution. So number one is that um, CGMs, they use what's called an enzymatic sensor. That's the class of sensor. And enzymatic sensing um, is not a platform. So every time you make a new enzymatic sensor, you go back to square one. So it's a relatively complex uh, uh, sensor. Um, and, it, and the, the technology relies on the reactivity of the target, right? So basically what that means is that you can make a glucose sensor, but if you go and make a, 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 the second sensor, you're not really leveraging the work you did for the glucose sensor because it's not a platform. Our technology is a platform. It's agnostic to the target. So the best way to describe that, in the last 40 years, there have been five enzymatic sensors that have been developed. Glucose is one of the classic examples. Now compare that to our technologies. Our technology is called an Aptima sensor, right? So it took 15 years for the first sensor to be developed, Dr. Rubicon. Um, and this is from a small lab in UCSB. You know, so we're not talking about a lab that's funded with millions and millions of dollars here. Okay. So and to pause real quick, you said UCSB, so University of California, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, yeah. Okay, exactly. it's, it's close yeah, to, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure we differentiated between San Diego and Santa Barbara. Yeah, there's a lot of UCs <laughs> out there, I know. That's right. I mean, we roll off acronyms left, right, and center these days. So, so probably a good idea. Yeah, no problem. Um, All right, yeah, so look, at, so it took them, uh, yeah, 15 years to the first one. And then in the next four years, they did 10 sensors proven on body. That's the ultimate test. Does it, every, every sensor works on a lab bench, right? Sure. Does it work on body? Complex medium, a lot of biofouling, a lot of noise. So they did 10. So they literally did in four years, double what the enzymatic industry did in 40 years. That's wow. the power of a platform that once you've done one to do the second and third and fourth is far easier. So that's the number one advantage. The number two this is number two difference to um, CGMs and enzymatic sensing is that those five that I just mentioned, they're all metabolites. They're things that are already in our body, like glucose, for example. But what we can do is drugs. We can do metabolites. We can do proteins. We can do hormones. Because we're agnostic to the chemical reactivity of the target, we can go into spaces that enzymatic sensing can't. So Typically, you're not going to have an enzymatic sensor for vancomycin, for example, right? That's that's one of our first markers is therapeutic drug monitoring with vancomycin. So for us, that's what we call blue ocean because we mm -hmm. don't have there isn't competing technology that can that can sense 
those type of classes of targets. And so they're, they're, so they're two big you know, differences uh, between you know, CGMs and, and what we do. Okay, great. Um, Hitesh, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that covers it pretty well. Okay, very that. good. Yeah. Yep. So um, you just talked about your first market and it's therapeutic drug mar- marketing monitoring for, um, what was the drug again? Uh, yeah. Vancomycin. It's an antibody. Yeah, Vancom- yep. yep. So, yep. so what's, I mean, how did you settle on that? Right. I mean, this is, this is a question too. And, 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 and maybe answer this from your perspective, but also try to speak in terms of generalities. Cause I think for a lot of startups who have platform technology, choosing that first market is hard. Um, mm. So, so this could be a really good learning experience for other startup companies listening. So, so walk us through that. Yeah. So, so it's like you said, you know, with a platform technology, you, you've got a, a blessing and a curse. The blessing is you can do so many different things on that platform. Mm-hmm. The curse at the same time is how do you not diffuse focus as a startup, as a small company? Um, so, you know, we, we employed a very robust screening process internally. We, we understood the capabilities of the platform and we built a screening framework, which looked at what can you strategically do on that platform? All of these different markers that you can monitor. And this can be applied by, by anyone really in the medtech space who is looking to build a startup, right? Um, then we looked at what's the clinical need? What, what out of these are the clinicians telling us they actually want to monitor? How do they actually monitor these markers today? What are they using more frequently? What's, what's the burden or the degree of the problem that we can help solve? And then we, we looked at it from a perspective of what's the technical feasibility that we can actually build this in a very uh, quick and efficient way mm-hmm. in our platform to actually meet that unmet need and solve a large degree of that problem. So using that process, we looked at over a hundred different markets and we narrowed it down to a pipeline. And then we worked through a, a, a structure to prioritize that pipeline, looking at, you know, obviously the physiology, the need, the technical feasibility, the size of the market that we can, we can target. And that's what led us to vancomycin as a starting point. Therapeutic drug monitoring are small molecules. They're a good low hanging fruit for the target of the platform. Uh, capabilities today and it's also one where the clinicians are saying if there's one thing you can do this is where we have such a huge pain point you know mm-hmm. these are drugs that we're dosing people who are uh, on critical conditions like sepsis these are life-saving drugs and the way we dose it today is so poor so inefficient we're going blind we need this type of technologies to be able to help heal these patients faster yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Um, it's a great approach. Um, and I guess, you know, I haven't even just, just outside of, of think talking about the, the, the product, but I haven't even thought about this market space as, as that big of an issue, you know, uh, until you, until you sit down, you talk to, to care providers and clinicians, it, it, uh, it, it makes it a lot, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, yeah, that's and, a very and, important and, part of that process, but by the way, you yeah. do have to do a lot of those interviews. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're the guys using the product, right? And you yeah. really have to understand them and, and get a real breadth of understanding. So we speak to, for example, uh, you know, nephrologists, intensivists, you know, a whole range of, of different clinicians to get mm-hmm. all these different perspectives. Um, and it's been really valuable. And they're some of our biggest advocates. And when we go to market, these mm-hmm. are the guys that are going to be saying, using the product first, you know, the real thought leaders, the, the, the yeah. people that are, that are leading the rest of their peers. 
So um, we, we get a much better outcome by engaging with them really, really early. And they say to us, they say, we, we say, look, these are all the things that we could do. What, what, what do you want? And, and almost universally, we, we, we find this burn, there's this burning need, there's a pull. You know, we don't want to push a product in. We want them to pull it in. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they dose this vancomycin every day and it is a big problem. They go blind, patients, outcomes suffer. It's expensive. It just goes on and on and on. And they do it every day. And you imagine you put yourself mm-hmm. in their shoes, doing your job and going blind and seeing patients potentially harm. You overdose them. Mm-hmm. You've got AKI, you've got toxicity, you underdose them. You don't, you don't treat the pathogen. You know, you, it's a pretty major responsibility. So I, you can see, I can understand from their point of view why they have this burning need to say, please help us solve this problem. Yeah. So if it's not glaringly obvious, you guys are both in Australia, correct? Correct. Correct. (laughs) Now, (laughs) now, um, did you talk to like, was it, was it doctors all over the world? Was it just Australia? Maybe talk, walk, walk me through that. Cause you know, it's something that I haven't done. I don't have a startup company, so I haven't talked to clinicians to solve a problem. So did you, you know, did you really diversify who you were talking to? So you understood maybe the global market or did you focus in on, on one area? Yeah, a, bit, a so, bit of both. Okay. Go to ship. All right. Yeah, a, a bit of both. So, so, you know, globally, we looked at who are, like Peter was referring to, who are the leaders in the space? Who are the key opinion leaders who are doing a lot of research? Who are leading the space from a thought perspective um, and leadership perspective? and saying there's a better way we need to actually help these patients, right? So we would find those people globally, we would engage with them. Um, and, and it's far easier for us to engage them and explain the technology and then work with them on how, what would they use the, applic- the technology for rather than uh, the other way around where we try to learn their space, try to get across their 20, 40 years of experience and then trying to see what we can adapt the technology to. So you really want to be problem-led first, first and foremost. And then locally, because of the ease of access and because we can, we can tap into a lot more experts, we've, we've really tapped into the Australian experts to say, how do you actually do this today? How do you actually help your patients today? What are the guidelines that you're following that are global versus uh, local? Um, and so we do that here, but we've also done that with experts in the UK and experts in the US. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's helpful. Um, is your technology only um, suitable for use in a hospital setting, or is this going to be, you know, like an over-the-counter as well? Uh, maybe walk us through that. Yeah, so we're starting off inpatient. So vancomycin mm-hmm. is traditionally dosed in a hospital setting. Sure. Um, so that's where we're starting off, but we're we're moving to outpatient settings. So okay. chronic kid- kidney disease is one of our other markets. Um, you know, this affects 800 million people. Um, the trend is for very good, especially in the last 12 months, is to push out treatments outside of the four walls of the hospital. There are better patient outcomes, better patient experiences. It's cheaper. There's a whole host of benefits. And so, um, you know, the, the remote patient monitoring, which is what we do, is being a you know, pretty hotly kind of sought after industry because you know, everyone's looking for technologies that can support, um, you know, pushing patients uh, treatment outside of those hospital walls. 
So we're digitally connected. So basically this patch is, can be applied by anyone. You literally, you put the patch on, it's digitally connected. So it's, it's communicating through Bluetooth to a phone, um, to the cloud. Um, and that really lends itself to outpatient settings. So, you know, settings where people have, for example, um, organ transplant and they're on immunosuppressants, for example, and they're on them for life. Um, you know, doctors can monitor those patients remotely. Um, there's a, you know, there is a whole range of different outpatient settings. Uh, things like, you know, um, people coming in uh, through trauma um, in an ambulance, typically they have to wait till they get to, to the hospital. They've got this golden hour and most of that's chewed up, taking blood tests and trying to figure out what's going on. You know, we've got a technology that can be applied immediately that can be streamed into ICUs and, and they can get a heads up you know, uh, you know, an hour or more before um, as to what's going on with that patient. That's critical. You know, when we start going through all the outpatient settings, this is where this technology really shines because point of care is difficult in outpatient settings. Um, you know, it's a lot easier in inpatient um, and the ease of use and the fact it's digitally connected and that we can do multi-analyte they all lend themselves, and, and it can be applied by anyone, they all lend themselves to outpatient settings. Yeah, and just to add to that, even in, in the drug monitoring space, so, uh, you know, a lot of patients may come into hospital, have a critical episode, are dosed on vancomycin, but they're not stabilized, right? Uh, but they're kept in the hospital because of the high need of how do we dose them, how do we monitor them, and so forth. But our type of technology really unlocks expanding that continuum to the home as well. So you could actually start to enable more efficient at-home dosing of drugs, uh, IV drugs, because you can actually have this remote data streaming that tells you how the patient's doing. Before the nurse goes out there to do the next dosage, you know what their concentration levels are. You know what the uh, safety levels are uh, for their kidneys. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can see, you can see the benefits right off the bat. Um, so... Where, well, before we go any further, um, cause I do want to ask you where, where you see the future of, of, of like personalized medicine going. Right. Um, but is this, let's just maybe do a brief update on, on where you guys are with this. Are you on the market anywhere? Um, you know, just what, what, what's, what stage are, are, are you guys at? How big's the company? Uh, is it like, you know, 10 employees, 15 is a smaller, uh, just some of that information. Yeah, so we're about 15 full-time equivalents at the moment, a company. Um, we've got a distributed workforce. We're in San Diego, um, we're in Sydney and Melbourne, and we're consolidating all that at the moment. We're growing really quickly, so we're, we're in the middle of a capital raise. We're just doing it right now, um, okay. and we'll be closing that off um, in the not-too-distant future. And, um, and so we'll be uh, literally doubling in size in the next 6 to 12 months. Um, in terms of technology, uh, where we've got a fully integrated working prototype, we've got human on body data, um, where we're moving to uh, pushing out the duration of the, of the patch. So essentially, it's a, you know, just to recap, so this is a, is it, look, it's similar to a CGM uh, size patch. It's a micro needle array on the end of those micro needles. The micro needles are less than one millimeter, so they're very, very small. Um, and on the end of that, we coat uh, each of those microneedles with a sensor. So that, that's effectively how it works. Okay. Um, and, and the beauty of that is that it's pain-free because these tiny little microneedles never reach the nerve endings. 
So it's not like a CGM, you got a, you know, a, a one centimeter needle. So there's a little bit of needle phobia if you've ever applied yeah. one of those things. Um, so yeah. we don't have that, which is good. And, um, yeah. and so, yeah, we're moving to a, uh, a, a human trial um, middle of this year uh, with a hospital for, in, for... in the US, in, Australia, in Sydney, sorry. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of the next six months, six to 12 months, you know, it's a really, really exciting time for us because a lot of things are coming together. Um, you know, all the results we've got so far, very, very promising. We de-risk it to a certain degree, but we still obviously have a way to go. And then, um, and then, you know, we're going through a regulatory process with the FDA. The US will be our first market. Um, so yeah, a lot happening um, and, uh, and yeah, all heading in the right direction. So obviously there'll be challenges along the way as any innovative new technology has. But yeah, we got a really, really uh, sort of passionate team that's um, that uh, is kind of chomping at the bit to really get this into the market and show the world what we can do. Yeah, great. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so yeah, so now that we have the update out of the way here, um, where, where I mean, where do you guys see? To me, this fits in the in the in the in the categorization of of really personalized medicine, right? Um, yeah. You know, you're you're gathering more data than you could before you're making better informed decisions and it's from a per patient basis, right? It's not just, uh, uh, trying to throw everyone in, in this bucket and this bucket and treat them the same. It's really figuring out, um, you know, Hey, if, if, if this level of this in your body is here and this is here, we know this is a better fit for you than this drug or whatever it may be. Right. So, so where do you kind of see personalized medicine going in the future? Well, yeah, we the, see it going. Sorry, go ahead, Tish. Uh, yeah, we can give two, two answers if you like as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, so look, I, I see it really heading in the direction where you can actually start to get our type of technology on, on a person, um, ideally before they've even developed a serious condition. You know, you can actually start to look at helping somebody understand their biology and monitoring them and, and introducing prevention as a key um, aspect in healthcare, in the healthcare system. Uh, imagine being able to actually say, look, you've got to come in for surgery, but how about we put this patch on for the first two weeks before you come in? We get a really accurate picture of your levels, of your biology, because we're getting this data and we know what the impact's likely to be from these drugs and medication that we're putting, going to be putting you on. Uh, imagine having, uh, being able to say, hey, we, I know we put you on drug X, but we're seeing these levels uh, increasing to a, a level concentration that we're not comfortable with. Can you please stop taking that medication and can you come back in for a checkup? Right. This is the sort of uh, more proactive healthcare that the future enables with these type of technology. Yeah. And, and Peter, before you go um, and, and, and give me your answer, just to comment on what you just said about proactive healthcare. I had a guest on, he was episode six. His name was Arlen Myers. He's an MD uh, from here in the States. He, I think he runs the group uh, SOAP, Society of Physician Entrepreneurs. Um, anyways, he made a point the entire time we talked to call healthcare sick care. And, and mm -hmm. he was speaking directly about the, the US market, but I'm, I'm sure it could go global as well, that we don't actually have healthcare we have sick care. It's reactionary. It's it's not proactive. Um, there's there's you can see proactive healthcare creeping in, but but 
it's a, such a small percentage. It really doesn't happen all that often, but um, when we were just doing it before the call, right. I was telling you about the, the whoop band. Yeah. You guys were telling mm. me about the ring you guys wear. Um, people want to know more information and, and this doesn't do it at the level that your product does. Right. But it tells you, Hey, if I fast for 16 hours, how did my, what, what, what did my recovery look like yesterday? You know, if I eat within two hours of bed, how does that affect my sleep? Um, that's just like scratching the surface. Now we're talking about putting a patch on and saying, okay, when I fast 16 hours and then I eat a, eat a certain, you know, diet at the beginning, how does that affect cholesterol levels or sugar levels? I mean, now we start talking about Exactly like you just said, preventing disease, being proactive, doing things that you wouldn't necessarily know. So I think it's really, yeah. really cool. And I love your answer, but, but Peter, go ahead. Uh, and, I, I, and just to add to that, right. We, we, we live in a crazy world, Dwayne. Like it really is because when you really think about it, we, we, there are chronic diseases, lifestyle related chronic diseases are, are, you know, we talk about pandemics, that, that's a pandemic, right? That is a major global issue. It doesn't get mm. the, the news that COVID gets because it's, it's a slow, anything slow moving just doesn't seem to really register, right? So yeah. it is a slow moving massive problem that is causing uh, chaos all over the world, right? It is preventable, right? It is preventable. We talk the medical system and we talk to, to clinicians and endocrinologists and a whole range of people. And they say to us point blank, if we find someone who's pre-diabetic, we tell them to go away and we wait for them to get, uh, to, to get diabetes and then we'll treat them. That, that is the system, right? Mm -hmm. And as crazy as that sounds, that is how it, how it works, right? The, the models or the, 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 the way that the system works is we treat a disease, we don't prevent a disease. And yeah. very little attention and very little money goes into prevention. And, and the way it's done now is eat, eat less and exercise more. And if you don't do it, well, it's on you, right? And that, that's it. And, mm. and that's the level of support. Yeah, you know, and I'm generalizing here, but effectively that's it, right? Yeah. It's not my problem. You didn't do it, it's your problem. And the end result of that is you know 82 million americans have pre-diabetes you know one in two adults have either pre-diabetes or, or diabetes uh chronic uh, kidney disease there there is double the amount of people with chronic kidney disease than there is diabetes okay. it's it is it is a major problem so so you know that's that's a big thing for us we want to get there one day um but uh, because it's just so such a bizarre situation and there are solutions real-time biofeedback has been shown to be really effective in changing behavior because mm -hmm. this is behavior change a lot of these things so yeah. so you know just just the, the advice of eat less and exercise more is really kind of useless because everyone knows that they need a tool to help help them give me something that's personalized it's not generic give me that mm -hmm. and we have a tool and we will get there. We, we, the reason we're not doing it straight away is that that we're prioritizing you know use this product and you won't and, and you get to live the next day because you have a medical condition that is life and death mm -hmm. as opposed to use this product and you won't get diabetes in five or ten years time right mm -hmm. we think the la the, the, the former is is something we've got to do as an imperative first but we're going to get there just because it's so such a such a 
big problem and we can really help solve, you know, go some way to solving that. Um, so sorry, I just wanted to make a bit of a comment on that because it's yeah. just that, you know, we're really, really passionate about, about yeah. that. Um, yeah, I um, really do agree with that, with that comment your, your previous guest made that it is today a, a system that is a sick care system, not a healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and it shouldn't be, and it's changing. It's changing, mm-hmm. um, and it's changing faster now, probably never before. So that that's the good news, but yeah. probably yeah. not fast enough. But the other, yeah. there's two two big uh, things. That's prevention is one, and the, and we're passionate about that. The other is closed loop systems, right? The best example of that is the artificial pancreas. So the artificial pancreas is the next big innovation that's coming right now for for diabetics. So basically, for those of you who don't know. It's you monitor glucose continuously. You need a CGM to do that. That's the first half of the equation. Then the second half of the equation is that you dose insulin based off that information automatically. So you don't have situations now where people read a glucose, uh, read the glucose meter, calculate the amount of insulin they need to dose, and then dose that. You take that out of the equation. You get much better results. It's automated and personalized. So that's, that's the holy grail of precision medicine that we all talk about, personalized medicine, is the ability to have these closed-loop systems. But to do that, imagine that imagine the artificial kidney. and the and So you can go through a whole range of different um, uh, systems and you could have closed-loop systems um, where, where you sense and then you administer and you do it automatically. Mm-hmm. But the first step in all of this is the sensing continuous sensing is that first step and that's the bit that we do so we see that as the future right that in you know uh, dosing of a drug automatically to an individual um in a closed loop system yeah yeah that's really cool um i know you know there's there's a few closed loop systems and obviously uh and i I've, i've worked on a few um in my previous job, and obviously can't disclose who, but, um, you know, I know when working with the FDA, that was always a big uh, question mark for them was the closed loop system. You know, it's kind of scary, uh, because there's no human intervention, right? So it's kind of like in a lot of scenarios, if this, if the, if the sensor reads something, the algorithm says, okay, we need to dose this much of this drug, and then a human says, I agree, presses a button, that's less risky for, for regulatory yeah. agencies. It, it, it scares them for sure when all of a sudden there's, there's no intervention and it's dosing it without it. But there's a lot of positives to it, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of good data out there that shows it's, it's really positive. So I think as that technology um, advances, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in that space because it does make a big difference. And you, I, like, I think I was skeptical when I saw some of the research uh, and then you read about it and it, it makes a big difference. So yeah, good, yeah. good, good point. And, and the artificial pancreas, my current boss, Todd Anderson at, at Covance talks about the artificial pancreas in every single one of our team meetings because he, he gets, he's so jazzed up about an artificial pancreas and, and getting yeah. to help, you know, if we, if we, if we get the opportunity to help a company who's, who's working in that space. So uh, yeah. he'll be glad to hear you mention that on the uh, podcast. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Well, you, know, you know, when you think about it, like a lot of, like, especially diabetes is so poorly managed, 
you know, for, for the yeah. most part, it's pretty poorly managed, right? Yeah. And, and, and that concept of handing over decision-making to a computer, yeah, it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. And it's probably one going to be, who knows the future, but it'll, but it'll probably be one of those things where it goes real slow and then it goes real fast. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you, you have you know, to, yeah. Yeah, no, it'll be like, like, or, or like cars. Like the concept of a car driving itself, boy, that's pretty crazy concept yeah. right it's crazy right. until it isn't until until it happens and then it just becomes ubiquitous yeah. really fast right. yeah. yeah yeah i mean these are stepping stones right you have to build the sensors you have to build the trust in the system right and then eventually go to those closed loop systems and you know artificial pancreas is, is progressing now really well but look how long it's taken cgms to penetrate and to be able to enable that future mm-hmm. and now you've got double that amount of people globally who are on chronic kidney disease yeah. And they have no data. It's, it's been described as a data-free zone, right? So they have no monitoring technologies. There's no data coming through. And there's a huge need in that space for artificial kidney type systems. Yeah. Um, so this is a key stepping stone to be able to enable that sort of future and improve uh, patient lives. Yeah. And, you know, that is a great point, too, about it's, 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 it's crazy until it's not. It's the same thing with, like, what, like electric cars 15 years ago. It was mm. now you'll never be able to hold enough battery life to make it worth anyone's while, right? Now yeah. Tesla has, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's other electric car companies, but Tesla has one that gets 500 miles per charge. That's more than if I fill up my Camry. That's more than I get out of it. You know, it's so. Um, that's a really really good point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So mm-hmm. I want to move on to 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 three more questions that kind of fit together. Um, you guys have have been in the med tech space. Uh, you guys have been entrepreneurs. So what going through this process, you know, what, what is the number one thing, your number, your, your, your best piece of advice for startup companies and also your, the, the toughest part, Hitesh, I'll start with you. Uh, and then we'll go to Peter, but your, your number one piece of advice and the hardest part of, of, you know, being a part of a startup company. Yeah, so, so specifically in the medtech space, I think you really need to focus on your team and building a culture where you can, you can enable that team to execute best, right? And it is about focus and patience. Like medtech is not like fintech or, or other sort of verticals where it's much easier to build and to deploy solutions and you can fail in the market. And learn. you need to have that patience in the medtech to go the distance. You need to have the right people working on it to know that we have to do it within certain safety protocols, but we can also do things much faster mm-hmm. um, than what's done today. Um, and, you know, we focus a lot on that. We focus a lot on the vision, the team, the culture, and, and enabling that for execution. Right. Yeah. And in terms of, uh, sorry, what was the second part of the question? The, 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 the toughest part about running a med tech startup part. company. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think the toughest part related to, to my, my earlier point is also about making sure you, you continue to have that focus and that patience. You know, with, with our type of company, there's a lot of directions that can be pulled and there's a lot of problems we can solve in the med tech space. And sometimes you have to be very strategic and say, this area is something we're not going to go after today. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of areas where you can have impact, but you need to be able to deliver your first product, show how well you execute, and how well you dominate before you start to expand onto your other opportunities in the mm-hmm. market. So one of the toughest things is, is making sure you keep that focus, laser okay. focus on what you're trying to execute on. Great. Peter? 
Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 odd years, right? So I, I've, over that time, you, you really, you get to reflect, you get to think about things. Um, and, and um, I, my advice to entrepreneurs starting now is um, this is going to challenge you in ways you can't even imagine. Right. And, and, be so glad that that's going to be the case, right? Because this is a path that's about who you become more than what you get, right? And that, that might sound cliche, it might be sound whatever, but that's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. You can only control the things within your power, within, and you, and we, we have to be really good at understanding what what's in our control and what isn't in our control. What's in our control is the challenges that we're going to be facing and how we how we deal with those things, right? So is this company going to be a billion-dollar company? No one can honestly tell you hand on heart, oh, I know it is because blah, 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 right? Because you don't know the future and there's no way you can predict that. And there are so many variables. What you can control is how you respond to things. And I think that's, you know, upping, lifting to the challenge, so when the challenges come, that is, there are moments in, 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 in your day, in your week, in your career, where you get, you have to ask yourself a question, am I going to lift myself up to the level to meet this challenge, right? And the easy thing is to say no, or, or make an excuse why you're not going to get to that level that you need to get to. And every time you do that, it's the combination of all those things that really makes you a better person at the end of the day. That's in your control. Um, the outcome isn't. And so my advice is that focus on that. Focus on the things that's in your control and you can live with the outcome, whatever that will be, right? Because you've done the things that you can do. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's a, I don't know, maybe a high, high level kind of advice. But, but for me, over the years, that's been, that's been the big things that if I look back in, on my life, I'm going to be glad I did it. Not because, you know, I created, we created a billion dollar company. That's, that's, that's nice. That's the output of that. Right. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, I hope I can say I became a better person because I, 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 I went down a hard path and I lifted myself to, to the challenge. That's what I want to be able to say. And that's what I try and focus on. So that, that, that would be my piece yeah. of advice for entrepreneurs. Um, toughest part, um, and I, I, I kind of echo Hitesh here a bit, um, is focus, right? Like, it's, it is, it, it, there's a lot of shiny things. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff, right? And you have a finite amount of time, finite amount of money, or to some degree, finite amount of money. Um, you got to get really, really good at figuring out what matters most and doing that at the exclusion of pretty much everything else. So, so that's why we, when, when we look at, you know, our first market, yeah, with their second markets and third markets and other opportunities, and it's good to, to kick those around at times, but we kind of, we're laser focused on that first one and we, we're going to nail that, show the world what this tech can do and really springboard off that, but it will never springboard off it if we don't nail the first one. So, so focus is, is that big, it's a challenge. It's hard because it's easier to, to get pulled off things but you've got to keep bringing yourself back to what matters most. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And, and, and I think, you know, even the toughest part is great advice, right? Cause it's, it's, it's 
helping people avoid common mistakes. Um, and I think, you know, while they, while they were, they were general, that's really what people need to hear. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I think sometimes companies think, oh, someone's going to give you some great regulatory advice or some, some great, you know, really specific reimbursement advice, but you know, those are just general things. It's different for everybody. Right. But, but mm. having, having a great team, a great culture, uh, being able to reflect back on, on, on what you're doing and why you're doing. I mean, those are really, really important things, um, for mm. a company to be successful. So I'm glad you guys brought that up. Um, well, great. So listen, this has been awesome so far, uh, action packed. Let's, let's, uh, tell the listeners, um, how they can get a hold of you guys. Um, if there's a website, um, you know, do they reach out to you on LinkedIn? What's the best way to, to, to get a hold of you? Yeah, well, kind of all of the above. So, okay. um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll just give we, a, yeah, give we're happy a, to, sorry, go oh, I was going to say, yeah, we'll give me, give you the details. So Nutromix, yeah. Nutromix, N-U-T-R-O-M-I-C-S dot com dot au we're in australia so we've got a dot au at the end okay um number one uh linkedin so if you look if i don't know if there's going to be show notes or anything but um yep. but maybe on the show notes we'll better put the linkedin address so uh yep. type our names um and look we're, we're we do this because we want to tell people about we've been in stealth mode right and we're, right. we're coming out mm. now and we're telling people this is what we've got we're ready to to share this uh, you know, we're looking for partners. We're looking for, as we mentioned, people that are really passionate about a certain field. They think that this could really help. We mm -hmm. want to talk to you. You know, we have kind of an open innovation model. Um, we, we're very collaborative. Um, you know, so so we want to we want to talk to you if you're passionate. If you think you got a, a, a you know an application, um, we want. We're as I mentioned, we're in the middle of a cap raise, so. If you know investors that feel that they can partner with us, that they connect with our vision and where we're going to go, we want to. We would love to talk to them as well. So, so really, you know, you know, we're looking for partners, and so anyone who kind of fits that bill, reach yeah. out, or even just a general. We're happy to just have a general chat. You know, we do a lot of it. Um, we learn all the time. So even just, just you know, um, thoughts that people have reach out, talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was going to say, we can share our email addresses, LinkedIn details, all for the show notes. Um, and yeah. um, just really echo what Peter said. It takes a village to, to bring mm -hmm. something like this to the market. It takes the right. ecosystem. And we really want to enable that. Yeah. So we're very open to collaboration. Wonderful. Sounds good. Well, great. Listen, uh, hang on for one minute. I'm going to stop the recording. We'll do a quick uh, offline uh follow-up discussion uh but hatesh peter thanks for uh being on the podcast and, and and really good luck moving forward with your with your company yeah thanks Dwayne. it's been uh really thanks, enjoyable Dwayne. having been... a chat yeah yeah thanks Dwayne. it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to the podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and leave a review if you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.